0: Okay, salam alaykum everybody. Um, my apologies to the interactive group. I um, over—I forgot to email you guys last night just um, to make sure everyone knew that we are starting um, at five o'clock today. This is gonna be our Ramadan starting time on Saturdays. Um, so inshallah, um, you know, that will hopefully make things a little bit easier. So um, anyway, salam alaykum everyone and welcome to Saturday session. Um, you know, I'm really excited for, for Ramadan to begin. Um, and I just, I wanted to announce, I know we've been talking about um, fundraising because fundraising obviously is especially important and exciting um, during the month of Ramadan to multiply your blessings. Um, and so we, by Ramadan, we will have, we will roll out the um, sura uh, sponsor a Sura and some other programs, hopefully. We also um, are getting ready to launch a few things, hopefully on launch good and, and all of that. So we want to um, try and make it easier for people to support what we're doing. Um, and inshallah, you know, hopefully um, raise awareness um, for these really important projects that we're doing. Um, I thought that I would just um, sort of repeat. I don't, first of all, I wanted to, again, if, if people have not um, signed up or subscribed to our weekly email, um, please do that, um, and it's just a nice way to get a summary in your email about what we're doing um, and then get some musings from some of us here. Um, but I thought in case people didn't have a chance to read, um, I just wanted to share um, just a couple of thoughts that I, I shared in my weekly email. and that is um, regarding you know Ramadan being a very lonely time for a lot of people. And I know for many um, converts, especially um, it's a it's a difficult time and even for for people who are not converts, I've seen so many people write about how how difficult it is to not feel a part of the community. Um, and it it struck me that, um, you know, we've been getting really lovely emails from people who reach out and just thank us for what we do, um, and say that they really appreciate the perspective, um, really appreciate Dr. Abul um, Fadl, his you know speaking truth to power, saying things that that, that people don't hear anywhere else, um, and you know uh, just being grateful that they found us. Like I get m- emails from people that say, "We I just found you a month ago, and I'm so excited to see you know to, to see and hear from you." And it struck me that you know all of what I feel is in common to a lot of these messages is a bit of loneliness because people feel like they really are not getting um, you know a smart, thoughtful um, message you know of Islam, a presentation of Islam that touches your heart and and your intellect. And people you know come from all parts of the world um, and and find us. And you know I we used to kind of say you know, when we were in Los Angeles pre-COVID when people would show up and and come to the Halakas there, um, that it was, you know, a little bit unfair to just kind of be in Los Angeles. There would be people who, um, you know, were were interested in what we were doing, but were very far away and couldn't come and visit. But interestingly, after the the lockdown and after the pandemic, we really um, were able to reach a lot of people from around the world. And what struck me is that, you know, All of these people are connected because they are smart, they're thinking, they're searching. And if all of these people were actually in Los Angeles, that would be very unfair because God would have put all of the same types of seeking people in one place. And I think that when they're all spread out around the world, these are like the seeds of hope that Allah shares throughout the world. And I think with this pandemic, the fact that we can actually connect with these people And people who come to us and stay with us are really here, not because they're looking for something in Los Angeles or they don't have a better community or whatever, but they're really searching for something and they show up time and time again every time we upload a a halakha or a chutbah. Because what's very interesting is that every single time that we upload something immediately within 24 to 48 hours, 250 people immediately watch it. And then it starts to just grow over time and it just you know it goes up into the thousands which is wonderful but we have obviously a very loyal base that is ready to open and watch the minute we put something up so to me that is a really beautiful idea of community we are connected here by the people who are touched by what we're doing and um and so it, it was you know the idea that if we one day inshallah i hope we can all come together and meet in person but we are not alone when we know that there are people out in the world that really appreciate what we do, that you know, um, don't worry about the controversy, that feel like this is the hope and the future for Islam. So I just wanted to um, share that because it's hard when you're lonely. It's we, we, you know For 20 years we lived in Los Angeles and felt very alone because we were not really connected to the community there. Um, but you know, and so it's a hard time especially when you have Iftar's and you have Eid celebrations and you're not invited anywhere, um, and I know that that happens with a lot of people, but if we can all at least feel connected here, even if now virtually, because people are not really meeting so much for COVID, that uh, you know just to say you're not alone, we're here with you, um, and Alhamdulillah, that you know this is one of the silver linings that comes from the pandemic is that we've found each other and we've you know united on. Um, seeking knowledge, seeking beauty, um, seeking a very ethical message, um, hopefully very humanistic message that will help all of us elevate and, and come closer to God, inshallah. So that's something very special to be grateful for. So um, with that, I wish everyone a very beautiful Ramadan um, as you're preparing for the last few days before we start and looking forward to another wonderful session.
1: Thank you. Bismillah <laughs> ar-Rahman rahim Rabbil Alameen, SubhanAllah Muhammad العالمين وسلم على محمد وعلى اله الى يوم الدين من inshallah we will do surah shara and um, um before I, before I jump into uh, the surah, uh, surah tushara is actually a, a, an, an opportunity to, to underscore this because the the way that I approach surah tushara and the way that I understand it um, is um, uh, is very different. Let's put it that way. Um, it's very different than what you will find in the traditional tafsir or even Sufi tafsir, um, because I think that Surah al-Shara. Uh, had a critical social ethical message to deliver, uh, and it was not simply about consoling the Prophet والسلام, um during a, a hard time in his journey, as as it's often portrayed. And I have an opportunity to to share with you. A some of the, the positions of the traditional tefasir and, and how uh, this approach differs. But I just for whoever is going to be watching this eventually, um, I want to underscore this point about support. Um, all intellectual projects in a community have to be, in order to have an impact and effect have to be embraced, they have to be rooted in the society to which they are directed. If, if, there, if, if socially people don't embrace an intellectual project and they don't empower it, Regardless of how brilliant or innovative or new uh, a project might be, it will go nowhere. Um, it will have very little impact, and that's the that's the challenge that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has created for all umm all all communities is that it is not just a matter of, of generating or of learning and generating good ideas, but progress, progress is a communal project. And if, um, if a community is not proactive, um, then ideas just, Uh, remain isolated and lonely, and for the most part, ineffective. Uh, I can comfortably say that this Quranic approach um, directly addresses because I believe the Quran is a living revelation. It is revealed, uh, it is newly revealed for each generation, um, fresh. Each generation has the ability to receive the Quran as a new revelation for its moment and place. The Quran is not revealed to Muhammad and that was it. The Quran has to be consistently re-revealed to people in different places and different times. And um, I think this project is, is critically important for our ummah and I sincerely hope that it will live for generations to come and I sincerely hope that it will find community support and it, it, although we Muslims in the modern age uh, we are accustomed to spending money on everything but knowledge uh, that's because of the the authoritarian societies from which we come and authoritarian societies don't socialize people to spend on knowledge because knowledge is a dangerous thing and the state wants to control knowledge and so the state wants to control spending on knowledge but uh you know our parents might have had an excuse or your parents might have had an excuse my parents are not never immigrated to the u.s Uh, They might have had an excuse in that they grew up in societies where the state wants to monopolize spending on knowledge so that they control and have hegemonic influence on the production of knowledge and the production of consciousness and the creation of social epistemology. But for the children of immigrants, Leave alone converts, but we converts are not in significant numbers yet, unfortunately. But for the children of converts, there's no excuse. There's no excuse anymore. Except that their parents unintentionally raised them with the same despotic framework and mindset that they grew up with. Un- unintentionally, they, communi- they, they, they transmit their, their despotic paradigms to their children and among these despotic paradigms is your responsibility is to spend money on yourself and your family on your taking care of your children take care of your home taking care of whatever but it is really not directly your moral and ethical and islamic responsibility To make sure that you participate in a direct and effective way in the projects of the production of knowledge. Production of knowledge are projects, they're projects, meaning it's an entire institution that produces knowledge, not individuals. So, regardless of of how inspired this Qur'anic interpretation might be. If people don't get behind it and commit themselves to supporting it and propagating it and spreading it, um, it will be another lost opportunity for our Ummah among a million lost opportunities since the khilafah, the Islamic Khilafah crumbled. Uh, we we and and then we're all responsible. Okay, as you will see, what I'm talking about or this plea for support is actually directly related to what Surah Al-Shara has to tell us and what it has to teach us. So Surah al is among the surah known as the Taawwuf meaning soar that begin was ta, ta, sin, mean, the tawasim. And the tawasim have been described as, sore some have described them even as sort of the, the, some have said the liver of the Quran, some kept the Quran, some have said the backbone of the Quran But clearly, the tawassim was seen as the not as containing messages that um, are not circumstantial. In other words, they're not messages that address just the um, historical contingencies confronting the Prophet or the early community. But that these are messages intended to have eternal effects and to be studied by generations to come. Moreover, Surah Tashara was revealed after a Taha and a Dukhan, which we've covered. um, And in many ways, Surah Tashara can see, can be seen as part of a trio of Taha and Dukhan and then Shara. And as we'll see, one can argue that Surat Shara completes, it's like a, a, a social theoretician um, producing a, a, a systematic social theory you know, the the theoretician might produce it in three parts. And if you study Taha and Dukhan and then Shara, you find that it's as if they do come together in a three-part assemblage uh, of a core ethical message. So, it is revealed um, after, sort of like Yasin, after Al-Furqan, after Fatr, it is revealed after Maryam. And as I said before, that Surat Maryam is sort of a, a, um, a demarcation point or a significant point in revelation and then right after Surat Maryam, we have the three, Taha, Dukhan, and then al-Shuara, And all three are addressing a state of perceived desperation, as we will see. In order of revelation, since Nearly all everyone agrees that it was revealed uh, after Dukhan and before an naml right before an naml Since nearly everyone that I've looked at says that it was revealed after Dukhan, before an naml and before a Qasas, uh, so that would mean that Surah al in order of revelation would be number 47 or so. But yeah, 47. When precisely is Surah Al Shara in the life of the Prophet? Well, it it comes at a time that, as we said before, was Taha and a Dukhan, persecution of Muslims has already started and so Muslims have come out in the in the open with their message and Quraysh's reaction got increasingly violent, increasingly hostile. And Quraish is terrorizing anyone that converts to the Islamic message, and especially those who are powerless, those who are mustadafeen of the those who uh, come from lower classes. Uh, lower class people know that if they convert to Islam, uh, they're fair game. Um, they could be grabbed virtually by any of the influential members of Quraysh, and tortured, uh, imprisoned. Uh, If you are a slave and you convert to Islam, your owner might sell you off to someone who will torture you. Um, Tribes that are coming into Mecca and Muslims are making it a point to proselytize, to visiting tribes, the tribes that are visiting Mecca. And, but Mecca, Quraysh is making clear that one, that those tribes shouldn't listen to the prophet, so they actually go wherever there's proselytizing, and they say, we know this man. Don't listen to him. This, This man is insane, or this man is possessed. Uh, this man is a liar, um, but it doesn't stop there because also Quraysh is making it clear that if you incline towards the the these this new uh, uh, if you incline towards uh, Muslims. Um, then you are on unfavorable terms with Quraysh, which means um, that will affect your commercial interests in Mecca, that will affect your trade, that will affect the the willingness the, of of Quraysh to provide you services. And as you know, tribes are trading. They, they travel in the desert, Mecca is arresting it's Las Vegas, people stop there for, for rest and enjoyment as they prepare to either go to the Indian route or if they're going south to the Yemen route or if they're going to Syria to Shem or if they're going to Egypt. It's, a, it's a, an important stopping point. And so if you don't get services, that's going to affect everything in your life. So whether Mecca is happy with you or not happy with you has serious consequences. And the effect of all of this is that the number of Muslims is remaining uh, constant and unchanging. Regardless of the exhaustive Efforts of the Prophet and the companions. People are terrified. People are scared to embrace the new religion. And so the number of Muslims is um, as if frozen. No one, no one is coming in, or no people are, no new converts. Um, And that is very worrisome to the Prophet because if the numbers don't grow then what's going to become of the Islamic message? And the the test of al isra al-Ma'raj didn't come yet because when it comes Muslims are going to shed even more people. But there's another element, and this is something that we touch upon right away. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then is telling the Prophet, Nafsak We know that you are tormenting yourself that they are not believers. Meaning what? Meaning that the prophet is in real agony. We already saw an aspect of this agony in Surah Taha. And that same expression, Bekha an uh will be repeated again in Surah al kahf the cave. But here, in Ashara the Prophet is in agony not just because he is trying everything and it's not working, but because he is genuinely worried about these people. One of the things that we don't talk about in in the Sira a lot is that the prophet was emotionally vested in his community. He cared. He cared, and he cared a great deal. Um, You know, this, of course, will be for another situation, another day. He he cared, so he's often... uh, uh, Often mediating even conflicts between people in Mecca poor people um, and others not necessarily Muslim but he knowing fully well that he is a prophet and that this is the truth that the fact that his people are turning away from it is disastrous for someone like the prophet, he doesn't see the world. I mean, if you if you can imagine the greatest Sufi master that there is, and the greatest Sufi sees the world, when he thinks of the world, he the the, the hereafter is is a pressing and an immediate reality. If in your life you caught a glimpse of the world of barzakh. The world between the hereafter and the now. If you caught a glimpse of the world of Barzakh, it leaves you changed forever. Once you catch, you catch a glimpse of the world of Barzakh, and not even the hereafter, just the world of Barzakh, um, it's as if. You are just counting. It's as if every day that passes, you say, uh-oh, okay, I'm getting close to that reality that I saw. Now, can you imagine the Prophet, who, to him, the world of Ghaib, the unseen world, is the world that he engaged and he knows to be true. And so he knows the fate of those who are turning away and that is hurting him. But hurting him to the point that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses that expression on nafsat means not just that you are in pain, but you are in such pain you are in so much pain that it's nearly killing you. Al baq is Bekha'atul bakra means I slaughtered the cow. on nafsak means it is, you're about to kill yourself. And this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling the Prophet, I know you you are about to kill yourself because you are so uh, hurt by the fact or upset by the fact that they are not believing you and that they are not accepting the truth a critical point that inshallah if we ever do the the seerah uh, project Mm -hmm. we'll have a lot more to say about But the prophet did not look at his people with disdain. He did not look at those kuffar that we call the kuffar, the infidels, as his enemy. He didn't look at them with arrogance or uh, 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 some type of vehement vehemence. He loved them. He cared deeply about them. And we see this in so many narratives about the prophet in Mecca. And because he cared so much about them, it broke his heart that people that he loved and cared about, some of the the, the people uh, where he grew up with as his best friends, that, um, we'll leave that to, And so he's he's agonizing, and part of what is taking place with the Prophet in baqa and nafs is that he is constantly thinking about all the ways that maybe he could do it better when you have someone who is very sincere and trying very hard and it's not working what do sincere people do? they blame themselves and they look within and they say you know the problem must be me and it must be that I'm failing because it's not working. And here, as we'll see, the divine intervention is not just as the traditional commentators say to comfort the Prophet, ﷺ, but as we will see, it is to convey a critical moral, social, ethical message that will resonate through the centuries. Uh this was this is a, a, a heavy surah and I was I wanted an army of people online mm. and I don't have an army of people online. So uh, I am Bekha on Nefsi. Oh no, no. I'm in a state of bakh.
0: <laughs>
1: a complete bakh. My, my demons are telling me I'm a failure. Shall we start? Yes. ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Okay, so Surah al-Shara is another one of the surahs that is an event. It's an entire event, as inshallah we'll see. And before we delve in, look at the end of the surah go to verse uh, go to verse two seventeen وترك على العزيز الرحيم الذي يراك حين تقوم وتقلبك في في الساجدين إنه السميع العليم هل أم بكم على من تنزل الشياطين تنزلوا على كل افاك اثيم وأكثرهم كاذبون. والشعراء الغابون. The name of the surah of course comes from the mention of the shara the poets in 224 but these last verses towards the end of the surah, Tawakkal al Aziz al Rahim, turn and rely on the Aziz and the Rahim, and we'll, we'll see the significance of this. Allah is the Aziz and Allah as the Rahim. Allah, the height of glory, the glorified the center of everything, the anchor of everything, the beginning and the end of of everything. But the embodiment of mercy itself and that God sees you as an individual, as a human being, as a person. And sees you as you pray and you prostrate and you plead, and sees your pain, and sees your worries, and sees your anxieties, and sees every moment and every breath of the life that you live and especially as you turn to Allah and say guide me taqallubaka fissajideen let's see how they translated it so the study Quran translates it as "Oh." who sees you when you stand to pray and the movement amid those who prostrate. Yeah, I mean, taqallubaka could mean your movement as you prostrate, but taqallubaka is, taqallub insan is not just movement, but it connotes a sense of tension and anxiety. So it, it is as if, Allah is saying, "I see you when you pleadingly prostrate when you prostrate, turning with your 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 concerns, your worries, your anxieties to Allah for Allah is the one who knows and who hears and then that rhetorical question shall I tell you?" shall I tell you who among you is guided by satan's who actually is visited by satan's visited by demons whether they realize it or not well who no affected the effect and the theme Especially those affect a theme are an effect is a deceitful hypocritical lying person whether that person lies to himself or to others that's an effect a person whose life is anchored in um, double standards, lies, mirage. If you are fundamentally a person who's not truthful with yourself and others, you are an effect and an thief. And and as we will see, it also refers to those who claim to have knowledge of the world of but it is broader than that. In other words, those who uh, are fortune tellers and and so on. It applies to those people as well, as we will see. But and the shayateen the shayateen try to empower those that are open to them with things that will affirm their sense of righteousness and make them feel that they are pursuing a good path, a decent path. All those people that say, for instance, that well, we don't need to be Muslim, we'll just be theists. I think that's directly demonic among the the mirages of the devil and the way that the devil tells you well you know you're okay it's fine you're okay you you don't have to to change your life to commit to those people who are advocating a message you're fine let them let them be so obsessed with their messages let Muhammad and his ilk and his type, you know, you're okay, you're fine. Now, why do I mention the end of the surah at the beginning? Because surah to shara, as we will see, is very unusual in that this entire thing that I just mentioned, from 217 to Two twenty-three is the zikr for the surah. When I was praying on surah Tasharah to understand surah Tushara I was if I was literally praying that. I understand what it means by demons descending to affect the way that people think and feel. And I was praying that Allah not contaminate or not allow my thinking about Surah Al Shu'arah to be contaminated by demonic influences. And I was praying that my understanding of Surah al-Shara would come directly from the divine, from a pure and glorious source, from the Aziz al-Rahim. Okay. So again, before Surah al unusual, because it requires these introductions. And as you know, I usually just jump into the surah first ayah and so on so forth but before I again before I do what is distinctive about Surah Tushara is that it comes in and it acknowledges the Prophet's pain. This salt was not just his pain but the fact that he is in such pain that he might literally be killing himself. Again, we don't, buy, we don't pay attention in the Sira to these little things. But it acknowledges it. And it acknowledges the fact that he is blaming himself. But then it proceeds to tell him seven stories about seven prophets, one after the other. And we know that the Quran does this, we've encountered it in Surah Nairim when Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la says, Wazkur fi kitab, and so on. Remember. But in Surah Al there is something different. Each of the seven prophets, the way the Quran tells us about their message is that it uses exactly the same language as we will see. Again and again and again. With a material difference. So we have the story of Musa, Ibrahim, Noah, Hud, Saleh, Lut, and Shaib. These are the seven, one after the other. Musa, Ibrahim, Nuh, Hud, Saleh, Lut, Shaib. But we notice something very interesting. In six of the seven, The Quran describes the relationship between the Prophet and his people as akhuhum, is called ala'um akhuhum, their brother. It does this with all the Prophets except Shaib. If you're paying attention, you say, okay, so why? So that's one. But two, is that the way it tells the story of each prophet is designed to communicate a message. And as we will see, it's a very coherent and powerful message, but it is an entirely educational message to the Prophet والسلام, and of course to anyone who studies the Quran ending with this comment about the the poets. And if again, if you're paying attention, you'd say, well, what is the relationship between the seven stories with the seven prophets and that reference to the poets at the end? Of course, understanding that the role of poetry and poets at the time of the Prophet in Arab culture was enormous. Poets were the entertainers. Poets were the PR people. Poets controlled the propaganda In the same way that in our day and age, I don't know, um, you know, rock and roll music, you know, affects people's attitudes um, and affects the, the, the way they relate to the world. Poetry played that role in that culture. And very importantly, poetry defined the fashions of the age. And that, again, if we're paying attention, we ask the question, well, how does this relate to the seven stories and the seven prophets and to the agony that the Prophet himself is feeling? Okay. Now that we set it up this way, we can jump into Surah Shara. And we know that Surah Tushara starts with Ta, Si, and Nim. And it is... and we confront the same thing is that, you know, we, we don't really know as Ibn Abbas said that no one really knows what mean meme, means. However, um, however, there, you find, especially in, in Sufi-esque tra- traditions, um, a lot of reports about what ta'a seen mean, means. Um, so, among the most famous ones is that ta'a refers to Al Tahir, to the Prophet ﷺ himself as the Tahir, the, the pure. And that uh, seen refers to As-Salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the Salam, the, the essence of all peace and tranquility. While Mukhit and Mim refers to Al another one of Allah's names, Al uh, is the one that knows all and encompasses all. Among the Sufis that are closer to the Ibn Arabi tradition said the ta si, ta'at Sin mean sorry that Ta'a Sin refers to the Ta'a al-Quddus al-Malik so um, and it's, uh, first taw is for tawg, means the uh, everlasting and the all durable the, the one who doesn't change the 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 sustainer of all and seeing refers to sana' um, or Quds the the sacredness and the holiness and the purity of the divine and mean to Mulkillah, the kingdom of God. And there is in this type of literature, a lot of discussions about how these letters relate to other letters in the Quran and that if you truly understand and internalize the meaning of these letters the process of irtaqa and the and process of spiritual transformation is extremely powerful and so on and so forth. So you could spend a lot of time talking about these symbols and the meaning of these symbols um, and so on. And as we are accustomed to that after, these letters the Quran often refers to itself as a clear and decisive message so tilka ayat al Mudin. these are the ayat the signs the or it could even refer ayat could mean the ayah verse or these are the pronouncements the proclamations of al-kitab al-mubin the decisive mubin means something that clarifies and explains and makes and and um and crystallizes so we say that the it's not a clear book sure but Al-Kitab al-Mubil it is the word the book that makes the difference between right and wrong between falsehood and truth and right after that is Allah's acknowledgement Allah knows that you are nearly killing yourself with sorrow because they are not believing. And right away, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then tells the Prophet that, remember, and this is um, something that we encounter several times or a repeated reference in, in the Quran that that if we wished we could have taken choice away from them and not only that but we could have forced them into a type of behavior that constitutes complete humility and obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if Allah were willed Allah could have created that reality where instead of pompousness and arrogance and all the 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 Whims that human beings indulge in, that could all have been created, taken away, and you could have found these human beings, these same human beings, walking around like zombies, acknowledging only one reality and one truth. And the clear implication in this is Allah, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala repeatedly tells the Prophet again and again, in numerous circumstances, This is not the case. And it's not the case, not because God is oblivious to it, or because God is forgetful. The fact that they defy, the fact that they turn away, the fact that they disbelieve, This is what God has willed. In other words, the fact that they have the choice. This is because God wants them to have the choice. So, it is not up to you. And your sadness is misplaced. Because this is the this is the process that Allah wills, that Allah wants. Now, but Allah tells the Prophet, I know that it's not just that they disbelieve you, but I know that they go beyond that. And they mock you. Yet every time there is a new revelation, every time there is a new message, it's painful for you as you see them mocking you and making fun of it and making fun of God's words and making fun of your role and making fun of the entire thing as if you deal with it as if it is the most important thing in life. There's nothing more important. But they deal with it as if it is silly and marginal and tangential. And then in the same fashion that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala frequently does in the Qur'an, Yes, remember that in due time, they'll get to know what the truth is. In due time, they're going to pay for their mockery. But right away, the Quran goes back to effectively, after acknowledging that they're mocking, effectively reaffirming the choice reaffirming the choice how by saying اول لم يروا الارض كم امبتنا فيها من كل زوج كريم ان في ذلك لا وما كان اكثرهم مؤمنين وان ربك العزيز الرحيم don't they see that we've created kul zauj, kul zauj here means sanf or noah a type we, we've created all types of the immense variety of things that grow on this earth Allah often points to the fact the variety of life itself whether Plants or otherwise, the enormous, the enormity, or the, the 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 how enormous the variety in life itself, as proof of the divine. That this in the, the irony is that you know in in evolutionary theory, variety of life is often cited as proof of evolution. While Allah cites that same variety as proof of a divine creator. Um, As if Allah is saying, look, the fact that I create things that can adapt to their environments, it's because there's someone who is designing this adaptability. But right away, إنا فِي ذَلِكَ aya وَمَا كَانَ أَكْثَرُهُمْ مؤمنين. Now, in this is the sign, but most of them, most of them, will not believe. Now, where did we encounter Aziz Rahim? We've encountered it at the end of the surah. This expression, this very expression that إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَةٍ وَمَا kana That in this is a sign, and most of them will not believe. And that Allah remains the Aziz, the Majestic, and the Rahim, the Merciful. Will be repeated in the surah time and again, eight times. That same expression. We're, we're gonna we're gonna encounter it with every narrative of the prophets that Allah gives us the seven plus one so you know encountered in ayah 67 and 103 and 121 and 139 and and so on and we'll see that so this is fascinating right Allah is going to tell us about the story of each of these prophets and. Every time that Allah tells the story Allah will remind us That the majority will not believe That although the signs are clear the evidence is clear the majority will not believe and Every time Allah will affirm that Allah remains Al-Aziz, Al-Rahim. The Majestic and the Merciful. Allah's tolerance, Allah's putting up with the attitudes and the arrogance of human beings is remarkable. That is truly the merciful. But the fact is, it is the mercy extended by the confidence of the all-powerful, the majestic, al aziz. It's like, you know, I indulge you, and you think that You are a big deal, and you are the world begins and ends with you. The truth of the matter is, you're a flicker, you're so small, you're nothing except for what value you attain through me, the divine. Without me you're just like any other phenomenon that appears in my creation and evaporates. It's like you're a puff. You come and go, you flicker and go. But with me, that is meaning. Because in reality, the only meaning in this entire creation is the creator of creation. Everything is fascinating dimensions, fascinating array of what appears like an endless amount of diversity. In this endless amount of diversity that is constantly in state of flux and change and transformation There's only one constant, one permanent, one unchanging. And that's Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. You either realize this or you don't. And if you don't, then there is no, nothing that, that pillars you to anything. There is no base for stability. If you do okay. So right after in the Rabbah Kalahu al Aziz al Rahim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts into re into the telling of the stories of the prophets. Now In Surah al-Shu'ara, we get for some of the prophets, we again typical of Quranic style, certain details are mentioned that might have not been mentioned in previous surah, while other details are not mentioned that will be mentioned in later surah. So, for instance, Surah al-Qasas. She means literally the stories, which tells a lot of the stories of the prophets, will mention details that Surah al Shara did not mention, and Surah Al Qasas is not is revealed relatively shortly after Al Shara. But paying attention to what details are mentioned and what details are not mentioned is the way that you truly understand the message of the Quran. If you understand that everything in the Qur'an is meticulously calibrated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to communicate meaning, then you start a real relationship with the Qur'an. If you don't understand that, then yeah, the Qur'an will remain alien to you. Okay. Okay. So Allah is telling the Prophet Moses we know that Moses is lost in the desert after he left the city of Median with his wife. And his small family and he sees a fire in Surah Tushara we're not told about the fire but we know that from previous source that when Allah calls upon Moses and says, you have a mission. And Allah does so at a point after Moses had fled Egypt, went to Median, lived in Median for a long time, working a a hard job, and then He tries to go back to Egypt to see his mother, who Moses was very close to. And at that point, when he gets the message, Moses is worried. His reaction when he gets the call is that I've lived, and there are different reports about how, how long he lived with the, with the Pharaoh, uh, in, the, in the palace of the Pharaoh. I lived with these people. Some reports say till he was 18 years old. Others says no, until he was in his 20s. Others say it was as, as much as, or as long as, until he was 30. There's no way that we, we can know for sure But, you know, I I know these people and I know how grand and mighty and arrogant the Pharaoh is and his entourage. It is not just the Pharaoh, but it is the culture that the Pharaoh created. And I am worried that I will not be able to speak as eloquently and as effectively. And in fact, Moses at one point sort Surah al he tells Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I fear that they will just outright kill me. These people are despots and these people are uh, ruthless. and." Moses requests that he has the support and the companionship of his brother Harun, Aaron, right? Aaron at the time, Harun at the time, is in Egypt. And for him to come join Moses, so Moses will actually, and interestingly, Harun is Moses' half-brother. And he is known to be a, a, a more um, a charismatic fellow than Moses. Moses is more studious, more serious, uh, while Aaron, Harun, is more charismatic, more eloquent. And in the, in the traditions, you find some very interesting material about the role of Moses' mother, by the way. Uh, which does is not mentioned in the Quran, but um, that she worries enormously when she realizes that her her now Aaron, both her sons are going to go up against the Pharaoh and she is in a in a in a very anxious state and she pleads to Allah to for to protect them and and then that Allah doesn't send her an angel or anything like that, but that she finally gets a sense of repose after many sleepless sleepless nights that just wait and see when they arrive and enter Egypt. In the traditions, because we don't think about these prophets as human beings, but they were. So Moses and Aaron are coming into Egypt And, of course, remember, the pharaoh and his wife know Moses. They raised them in their palace. But the pharaoh also know that Moses left without permission after he had killed a man in a fight, killed an Egyptian man in a fight, and went and disappeared for ten years And the Pharaoh is angry about this. You you, you ran away. We raised you. We fed you. We took care of you. And then you suddenly disappeared on us. You went, lived, God knows where. And now that you, you come back and you reappear with this brother of yours that we didn't raise and we don't know anything about, and you want an audience with us? In the traditions, they say that Moses was forced to wait an entire year before being allowed an audience with the Pharaoh. Now, why do I mention this? Because if true, I want you to imagine, put yourself in the shoes of Aaron and Moses for that year. You're just waiting around. What doubts came to them? Did they despair? Did they say, we're sick and tired of waiting? God, for a whole year, we've done nothing but just wait for an audience? I mean, these were human beings interacting with other human beings. So, when Moses moves at those Alayhi salam tells Allah Allah reminds Musa simply that I am with you and I hear all and the the the, the language here is is, is is noteworthy because when Musa says I'm, I'm, I'm worried that I might even be killed. And simply the, respo- the response from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, "Qala Kalla. no. Which is if you know, yeah, I, I, I know you have all these things that you that will preoccupy you, but these are things that you are simply as my messenger. To, to put aside and carry the mission. So just simply know, go with our message, and I am with you, I hear all. Okay. So, we know that Moses then confronts the Pharaoh and we know in the narrative of Surah al-Shara that um, Moses says, "I am. I want you to allow the people, the Israelites, to leave. Why allow the Israelites to leave? Because for years the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, and were." systematically oppressed people. And they were oppressed as as a race inferior to the Egyptians. So there was racial oppression in this dynamic. The Pharaoh was thoroughly authoritarian and in fact was known for his horrible prisons. As he will threaten Moses with prison, as Surah Tushara tells us, his prisons were basically a hole in the ground that you're dropped in, and that's it. You you stay you stay there until you perish. And they throw when they give you food or water, they basically drop it in. So you you don't have no human contact, no sanitation. And, um, anyway, very authoritarian. But on top of that. He oppressed races of people as inferior to the Egyptians. And Musa, says, You've oppressed the Israelites enough. I want you to allow them to leave with me. And as Surah Tushara tells us, the response of the Pharaoh is, this is what i get from you after we've raised you we've took care of you this is how you pay me back didn't we raise you and you've spent years with us and then you even committed an offense where you've killed someone. It's like saying, and you were ungrateful. Like This is the way you pay us back for raising you and taking care of you? The response of Musa alayhi salam It's twofold. One to admit that the accidental killing when he struck someone in anger and accidentally killed him was wrong. Though so he says I this is number surah, verse number twenty. Uh, yeah, I, I I admit I was wrong when I struck this person in anger. And I admit that I was scared of you. I was scared of what you would do to me because I know you're racists and you know I know that you look at me as an Ezrealite and as an Ezrealite, I'm inferior to an Egyptian. And the fact that an Ezrealite struck an Egyptian in your laws, in your system, is unforgivable. And that terrorized me, and I ran away. But note here the subtleties, the nuances, the beauty in the subtleties and the nuances. But I am a different person now. But I am a different person now. I have been, I have grown and Allah has chosen me. And then he says, and you are saying I should be grateful to you while you have enslaved the Israelites. There is a message here that is very important. Despots and authoritarians will often obfuscate points of justice by talking about all the things that you should be grateful and grateful for, and therefore you should acquiesce and accept your your, your station in life. Be, imagine this in the modern age, it would be exactly, it would unfold like this. You know, you have stability, you have a life, you know, you have this, uh, so you should you, you shouldn't raise this issue about oppression and who's oppressed and who's suffering because if you do as we will see there will be instability so you should be grateful for your, what you have and shut up but look at Moses response no i'm not going to shut up you yes, you raised me. Yes, I, you you've taken care of me. But the fact that you have doesn't in any way mitigate the fact that you are a despot, and doesn't mitigate your injustice. It doesn't make it right. And. Just for my own, my own, set, whatever favors you bestowed upon me, it doesn't mean that I will relinquish a higher cause because I should be grateful for what I got from you. Now these details, these specific details, are only given in Surah Tushara, and we'll see why so but Moses is not just saying release the Israelites Moses is saying your claim your justification for supremacy over human beings and your justification for authoritarianism and your justification for racism is completely flawed why because in the theology of the pharaoh they believed while they believed that there are gods up in the heavens, not a single god, but gods. They believed that the a god, the most powerful god. Um. Uh, hulul, what is how do you translate hulul Um. Dissolving. It it is embodied. Or encompassing. It merges merges into. Yeah, a God, part of that God, of the divinity of that God, goes into the Pharaoh. So that the Pharaoh is a God, not in the sense that the Pharaoh is the only God, but in the sense that within the Pharaoh is divinity. And that is why the Pharaoh sees himself as divinely guided. Now, the remarkable thing is most despots see themselves as as guided, either by divinity or by something, but they're completely convinced that they see what others don't see, they know what others don't know, they have a right to impose their way. And the Pharaoh's reaction to Moses is the reaction of arrogant arrogant and powerful people is to say, look at this guy, Look at what he's saying. He's talking about a god that would make my claim of being always right and my laws being right illegitimate. This is this person is insane. This guy that claims to be a messenger is insane. This is 27. And initially he threatens Moses with going in one of these pits of hell, these Being thrown in prison, being thrown in one of these uh, cells dug in the deep in the ground, Um, and Moses does something that engages um, what was in that day and age um, the way that how do I put PR was conducted. The PR machine of that day and age was conducted by magicians and tricksters. They were the ones that defined for people and in fact the pharaohs well, well-known, uh, just um, this past week or something, Sisi spent in Egypt a billion Egyptian pounds on a huge carnival that, where he transported a bunch of mummies. Mm-hmm. Well, this goes back all the way to the pharaohs of Moses where you put on a show and the show dazzles people and the show defines fashions. And defines tastes and the fashions and the tastes are defined, lo and behold, all affirm the institutional structure that the pharaoh, the elite class, has put into place. It affirms the classes, it affirms the races, it affirms the elitism, and the the this the spin-masters of this, the people who do all the PR, those who spin the narrative, are the magicians. So, when Moses engages that I'll use the word of epist- the word epistemology, engages the epistemology of that age. And this is if eventually, uh, Mafaz is writing a dissertation on epistemologies. So I, I, if eventually she listens to this halakha. That's why I wanted her to be here. Um, it engages the epistemology of the age. What is the epistemology of the age? Epistemology of the age is not a Quran. Moses, having an eloquent book, is not going to speak the language of the age. The language of the age is magic. And so Moses, through Allah gives them the ability to pull a trick or two. A, a snake that will terrify the pharaoh there are reports that the snake even like snapped at the pharaoh and to pull out a hand that glows a luminous hand and the pharaoh looks at this and saying wow there's someone who has a technology pr technology this is like hiring one of the lobby groups and you know they the pr firms in in uh, new york city these days right You give them millions of dollars to do PR. Well, Moses looks and says, wow, you know, where did this technology come from? No, no, I better get my people, and I better prove that we are better because you have someone that can produce a fashion show, can dazzle the minds and eyes, in ways that better than we as an institution, as an authoritarian institution can, that's dangerous. Do you get the point? So, remarkably, instead of killing Musa or imprisoning Musa, although he was imprisoned, in other words, him and Aaron were not allowed to leave, and they were not put in a pit in the ground, but put in a prison, as they awaited the the day where their show is going to go against the show of the magicians of the pharaoh. It is the arrogance and the confidence of the pharaoh. who will say, well, we raised this guy, and we know that this guy is no brilliant Master of PR So whatever trick he must have learned wherever he went in Median, it can't be better than ours and Apparently that's why the Pharaoh doesn't kill Moses right out or just simply put him in a prison forever as as the Pharaoh regularly does with people who dissent Okay. So in the one of the 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 little um, things that we should take note of um no, there are several, but anyway, let's um... Note, this is v- verse 35. When Moses first encounters the tricks, I'm sorry, when the Pharaoh first encounters the tricks that Musa, s. S. presents, In say, call a little Melek Hawla who and So this is thirty five. It says, It says, Look, this is if a, a a competent powerful sorcerer and then he says who desires to expel you from your land with his sorcery so it's not what do you command it is so what do you think we should do now you shouldn't pass over this why who wants to expel you from your land, what is he talking about? Is he talking about, look how deliberately the Pharaoh misrepresents Moses mission. Exactly like dictators and authoritarians always do. If he's talking about the Israelites, well, the Israelites are enslaved, and yet when the Pharaoh talks to them, he's saying, refers to this as your land. In the same way like, for instance, the Israelis will talk to the Palestinians as if, their rights are protected, while, in fact, they're treated like garbage. That's sort of classic, the way oppressors deal with the oppressed. Or he's talking to Egyptians, and in this case, he's creating a boogeyman. He's trying to tell the Egyptians, look, this guy is a danger against national security. In our language today, he's a terrorist. Look, why is he a danger to national security and a terrorist? He could, the next thing we, should, we, we, we know, we, he could be chasing Egyptians out of Egypt. And of course, if you know anything about how despots and dictators actually act, this is remarkable. Nothing has changed in thousands of years the same people who inhabit the same part of the world are still um, hypnotized by pharaohs in the same way that they used to be hypnotized thousands of years ago and still led by pharaohs in the same exact... Anyway, okay, so We know then what happens. What Moses presents far outweighs or far outperforms the PR of the other magicians. The magicians know that this is not the same genre of work. They know that this is not Tricks of the eye, and a, a, a this guy, this this man is coming with something that's a paradigm shift. It's a, it's something that is divinely. So they they follow Musa, and as a result, the Pharaoh tortures them and puts them to death. And we know that then. The story, in the interest of time, I'm going to just move a bit faster and say that the story of where, where they, they go to the Red Sea and the parting of the Red Sea and the drowning of the Pharaoh. The, the so, make a mental note. the This narrative, a prophet who cared about his people, described as Akhuhum, as their brother, and this prophet confronts an ailment. What is the ailment that this prophet confronts? Well, at a minimum, racism. Also, if you will, a an exacerbated or an extreme condition of elitism. The pharaoh is the undisputed ruler who accepts no challenge and no disagreement. Keep that in mind. Story number one. Do I it? Oh, okay. I better move faster. Bismillah So, the sin of the people of Moses, the, the opponents of Moses, is racism and enslavement. And, Sta'bata. Bani Israel, that you, you've enslaved people. Okay, uh, another thing to just notice in, in 49, the, the sort of the anatomy of despotism is amazing. When the pharaoh turns to the magicians and says, <laughs> you, you believe before I give you permission this is the, like the classic despot. It's like, you're not allowed to believe unless I give you permission to believe in someone. You're not allowed to be impressed. You're not allowed to have an opinion. You're not allowed unless I give you permission. And so, of course, when, when the Pharaoh turns to, pe- to his people and says, uh, تأمرون, what, what do you think we should do? Quranic commentators actually write about this and say the Pharaoh is not taking anyone's opinion. It's an act that despot, it's sort of like a theater that despots perform where they pretend to take someone's opinion. But in reality, that is done for the per, for sole purpose of PR, again, it's the, the you put on a performance so we get to when of course Allah saves Musa alayhi salam and his followers and this is in uh, verse 67 where we get that same refrain inna fi kana in this in this is a sign and most will not believe al-Aziz so we get and your lord is aziz and rahim majestic and merciful and from that we get a transition to ibrahim and What does Ibrahim, the core of what Ibrahim is going to be telling his people is exactly what we encounter again with all in all seven narratives. Ibrahim is confronting his people and especially he has a very close relationship with his father Azar And when he engages his people and he says what you're doing is absurd. You you are worshipping symbols of divinity and the hope that they would intercede for you with the divine their response to to him is this is what we found our forefathers doing this is this is our culture these are our traditions these are our habits don't ask us to change and ibrahim then utters what becomes one of the most famous prayers in the quran وإساذ الذي خلقني فهو يهدين والذي هو يطعمني ويسقين وإذا مرضت فهو يشفين والذي يميتني ثم يحيين والذي أطمع أن يغفر لي خطيئتي يوم الدين ربي هب لي حكما والحقني بالصالحين واجعل لي لسان صدق في الآخرين واجعلني من ورطة جنة النعيم وَاغْفِرْ لِأَبِي إِنَّهُ كَانَ مِنَ الضَّالِّينَ وَلَا تُحزِنِ يَوْمَ يُبْعَثُونَ يَوْمَ لَا يَنفَعُ مَالًا وَلَا بَنُونَ إِلَّا مَنْ Salim. اللَّهَ بِقَلْبٍ سَلِيمٍ So the supplication or the prayers that the Quran repeats on behalf of Ibrahim this is from From 77 all the way to 89, some of the most tender and beautiful prayers ever uttered. Where Ibrahim says, As to me, I worship Allah who feeds me, who heals me if I'm ill, who ultimately gives me life and death, who controls life and death, who will forgive, or who I hope will forgive my sins in the hereafter. And then Ibrahim salam prays that Allah grants him hukman, or hiqmi grants him wisdom. And that Allah always keeps him in the company of the good that and make my memory a memory of truth and goodness in the generations to come. and the inheritors of heaven and forgive my, my father for my father has gone astray and although the, the, the day where neither money or children will avail you, سليم, except that who comes, except who those who come to Allah with a pure heart. This prayer is as if. And it was taken by the Prophet as a prayer of consolation repeated by Muslims, millions of Muslims for centuries to come. This al-Dua al-Ibrahimi as it became known. And we know that the Quran then comments as would be expected about the fate of those who refused to abandon what they were doing because of the inherited practices and traditions of their fathers that their fate in the hereafter is well known so this is um, uh, in 94 for kubkubu fiha fahum walqawun wa junud iblis ejma'an they and the, the the armies and the forces of satan who are all doomed um and this then takes us to 10 10- 103 and 104 when we have the same refrain repeated again in this is a sign and most of them will not believe okay so in the story of ibrahim We have Ibrahim who loves his father, is in agony because of his father, tries his best to guide his people. It doesn't work. What is the sin? What is the social ailment of the people of Ibrahim? The social ailment Is simply put, the following of customs and traditions, the blind following of customs and traditions, a different form of despotism. Still despotism. Moses, despotism, racism, and enslavement. Ibrahim, the despotism of traditions and customs that are followed blindly. Then the Quran takes us to the story of Noah. And again, Noah tells his people that, Inni lakum rasulun amin, for wa alti'oon, wa ma as alkum alayhim in azh illa ala rabbil al amin, for takullah wa alti'oon. I I don't ask for anything in return. This is a message. So, fear God and follow what I'm saying. And we know that the, the people or most of his people will not follow his message. But what is it that they say as justification in not following his message? They say to him, This is one eleven. Call a nukmin leka or tabakan orzalun. Call a woman, I'll me be Yamalun. Inna hisabu, I'll illa ala robbi. Low toshurun, or ma anna betorid in mukminin. In anna illa nazeer and قالوا لإن لأ لم تنتهي يا نوح لتكونن من المرجومين قال ربي إن قومي كذبون they are upset because those who followed نوح are the low class الأرزالون it's not the rich people it's not the cool people it is the poorest and most uncool people in society, and in fact, what they tell Noah is, "Maybe we'll listen to you if you get rid of the riffraff." And Noah answers them by saying, "It's not up to me to get rid of the riffraff, as you put it. There." Accountability is with Allah. Whether they're, they're they, it's like saying, you think they're riffraff, but maybe you're the riffraff. Who, this is something, it, it, it's Allah knows the merit of people. But as far as I'm concerned, I can't kick out the believers. And then Noah knows that there is no hope. Those who have followed Noah are the ones who follow them, and and he tries and tries and tries with his people. Nothing changes. His numbers remain pretty static, and he turns to Allah and says, "Allah, call me kathabur. They don't believe me. What am I going to do?" And we know. The narrative of the story of Noah is that there is a flood that will punish his people, and we get at 122 and 123 again, sorry, uh, at 121. إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ وَمَا كَانَ مُؤْمِنِينَ وَإِنَّ رَبَّكَ الْعَزِيزُ الرَّحِيمُ Again we get the same refrain in this is a sign and most of them will not believe and Allah is al Azizur Rahim So what is the sin of the people of Nuh? It's another form of despotism another form of istibdad, but it's classism, tabaqiyya. So we're already getting a pattern here. People of Moses, we know what their problem is, the racists, and the enslaved people. People of Ibrahim is blind imitation to customs and traditions people of no their classists and the quran immediately moves to the people of hud and the people of hud again is called lahum akhuum hud their brotherhood connoting intimacy closeness not that they were actual blood brothers, but meaning he is anchored in society. He cares about them. I am a prophet and I don't, again, the same message. أَجْرِ أَجْرِ that I don't ask you for, for, for compensation. I'm not doing this for my own benefit. This is for you. So the people of Hud are obsessed with building um. Uh, meaning that they spent a lot of money on luxury items in their buildings tall, fancy buildings you know they should of course see the high rises now in in, in Mecca and, and and Dubai and Abu Zabi and so on but A lot of money is, is wasted on, on stuff like that. And they were obsessed with the idea of the fountain of youth and discovering the secret for eternal life. وَإِن بَطَشْتُمْ بَطَشْتُمْ جَبَّارِينَ meaning you are cruel and savage when you use your power. This perfectly fits what the Emiratis and Saudis are doing in Yemen. They use force without mercy and they build high-rise buildings full of fancy elitism. I mean a more perfect and fitting description could not be. Wa <laughs> in you you cruel people. You when you use force you completely forget mercy and compassion. You're brutal and who goes on to tell his people God has given you a lot of bounties, a lot of good and you will be held accountable. And their answer is Sawa un we don't care what you say, Hood. In Hada Illa means that this is the way that we've always done things. Our brutality, our cruelty, our use of force, this is our way of life. And there will be no punishment and 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 they they did not believe him and as a result they were destroyed. And at 1:40 again, or 1:39 and 1:40 again, we get the same refrain: "Inna fi dzalik la aya wa ma kaana aktharum mu'minin, wa inna rabbak lahu al-'Aziz rahim In this is a sign, and most of them will not believe, and Allah is Aziz Rahim. So Hud. Are also despots, another form of despotism. But their main sin, yes, elitism, but botch. Botch is literally means to be cruel and merciless in the way you use force. There are people without mercy. Then right away, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes us to the people of Salih, Thamud, And again, Salih is described as Akhum. This is 142. It's, lahum salih ala if their brother Salih told him, don't you fear same language. وَمَا أَسْأَلُكُمْ عَلَيْهِمْ أجر, And I don't ask you for compensation. So again, it's what is Allah telling us here? It's the same message over and over, over and over. But it is not just a message about monotheism. It's a message about social justice as well. So, with Saleh, after he told him that, this reaffirmed the same message, he reminds him, you build fancy homes, you spend a lot on yourself, and on luxuries, and you don't think about things like whether you are co- you're corrupting the earth or not corrupting the earth. In other words, you don't have a, a very strong compass about justice or, or injustice. You indulge. And, and they respond to him, You're bewitched. And Moses is called a majnun, insane. In Ibrahim he's treated like a criminal it says if that if you don't stop we're gonna stone you right with Noah, they say you are you, you've lost your mind you you're you're senile you're talking nonsense because you you go around with the riffraff. and with Wood and Saleh, again, the, the point is they always respond with an Ad Honiman attack, cutting the attacking the personality of the messenger and oblivious to the message itself. So the test given to those people is fascinating. Right? They define Saleh they say, okay, well, if you're truthful, have a, have a camel come out of this rock. And Allah obliges. And a miracle is performed. A camel suddenly appears. But they are told that they have to share their water with this camel. The camel has certain days in which he, the camel can drink from the well. And on these days, they're not supposed to drink from the well. But on the alternative days, they drink from the well and the camel doesn't drink from the well. Better minds than mine paused long and hard as to why that test. And Qawm Tamud are arrogant. Arrogant, yes, but they're also greedy. They see no reason why they can share anything with anyone. And when Allah gives them that test that there is something in this world that you don't, you don't have the right to indulge in to your heart's content, but you actually have to exercise restraint. Even if you don't understand the logic of this restraint, but it is not just free for you to use as you please, they fail kill the camel. They say, we're not going to share our water with the camel, we're just going to kill the camel. And they're destroyed as a result. And again, Allah comments on this by saying, inna fi thalika ayah, and in mo- this is a sign, and most of them will not believe, and Allah is al-aziz al-rahim. So, the sin of qawm salih, samud, is extreme indulgence and greed. They don't share. And they were rather infamous for not wanting to share. Then right away, Surat al moves to Qaum lut the people of Lut, Lot. And the same message, with the same words, Inni Lakum Rasulun Amin Fatakum Laha Waatiyaun Wama as Alukumala himan asjurun i min ajurin in the ajudri illa ala rabbilah. Same message again. Fear God, I don't ask you for compensation. And Mut says, atuna Quran, Min alameen. وتظرون ما خلق لكم ربكم من أزواجكم بل What is the What is the story with the people of law? This tribe had adopted something very bizarre. They're married, they have wives, but they adopted. The social practice of raping any strangers that they can put their hands on, whether they come to the tribal route or they raid along the way. And not just raping, but sodomizing. And not just sodomizing, but sodomizing the men and the women. Now, why is it that they sodomize all those that they put their hands on? It's an expression of extreme dominance and power. We are going to sodomize your men and we're going to sodomize your women and we're going to sodomize your children, and there's nothing you can do about it. So the message that they're sending is look at us, we're all powerful. We literally screw you. Quite literally. And there's nothing you can do about it. And for the, especially for the traditions and practices of that region, you're supposed to treat guests kind, extremely well, not sexually assault them and sodomize them. But the people of Lot, that's what they do. If you come to their town, they're going to rape you. And if you pass by their town and you're from a weak tribe, not one of the powerful tribes, they're going to raid your caravan and if they get put their hands on you, they're going to sodomize you. And they became very famous for that. And we know that the people of law get punished and are destroyed. And again, in Naveedha, this is a sign and most of them will not believe وَإِنَّ رَبَّكَ الرَّحِيمُ And Allah is the Aziz and Rahim. So, what, the people of Lot, again, are Mustabiddin, they're despots. But what is the particular crime and sin? Sexual assault and ugly acts of dominance. Then we come to shy. Shaib Allah doesn't says doesn't say akhu doesn't say their brother. But simply tribe has the same message. Inni lakum rasulun amin. Sottaqullaha wa Ati'oon the same message verbatim. وما اسالكم عليه من اجر ان اجري الا على رب العالمين i, I don't ask for compensation the message that scribe has is brother subtle and nuanced اوفوا كيل ولا تكونوا من المخسرين وزنوا بالقسطاس المستقيم وَلَا تَبْخَسُوا النَّاسَ أَشْيَاءَهُمْ وَلَا تَعْثَوْا فِي الْأَرْضِ مُفْسِدِينَ The message to his people is don't cheat in commerce. Don't pursue fraudulent practices in your transactions so you can maximize profit. And don't deny people their rights. And by doing so, you are causing corruption on earth. And the response is cold and arrogant. Get real, Shu'aib. You're just a human being just like us. It's like saying, it's like saying, it's like saying, we, we know that you're just as human as we are. We know that we don't buy it, that you don't want to cheat and make money. Get real. We don't believe you. It's when you know, we we don't we don't believe that any of these claims of lofty justice that you are coming up with. And you know what? If you want God's punishment to befall us, go ahead. We don't care. Meaning that they don't they don't believe it. So it's fascinating. What is there? What is the sin of tribes people? Fraud. Injustice. But it is not the type of injustice that we saw with the people of Moses or the people of Hud or the people of uh, Lut, which is violent injustice. This is transactional, commercial injustice. And in fact, Shu'aib, seems to, it's like Shu'aib was sent the equivalent of a prophet being sent to Wall Street. And that's why Shu'aib is not described as a huhu. These people had no close relations. All they knew was money and all they cared about was money and all they loved is money. They had no brothers. It's like if you are sent to talk to Wall Street, you don't go and say, I'm your brother. That would be ridiculous. You know, it's everything is, you know, there there there's no tradition, there's no tribal uh, relations, there's no genealogy, there's no clan, nothing. It's all money relations. So, seven forms of despotism. Seven forms of stupidity. Moses, race, racism, and enslavement. Ibrahim, blind imitation, and unthinking habitualism. Nuh classism, hood cruelty and barbarity, saleh uh, greed, in uh, greed and a, and a refusal to understand that you exist in the world to share its resources, loot, sexual aggression and. Uh, again, forms of of by of, of exercising power, but in a particularly cruel and tortuous manner. And Shu'aib is fraud and injustice and failure to, to, to be. Now, among the people that the people of Shu'aib resemble the most the people of Quraysh, except that tribe didn't come from one of the families that controlled the finances and the money in his tribe, but the Prophet Muhammad did. He came from the tribe of Quraysh, one of the tribes that actually dominated the finances of Mecca. So it's remarkable, Surah al-Shaara, takes the prophet on a a journey, saying, listen, each of these prophets confronted a form of despotism, Istibdad, and nuances of injustice and corruption on, on this earth, and in every one Allah creates a sign as Allah creates signs all the times. But understand most people will not believe. This is the way it is. We're not finishing the surah yet, but I'm, I'm, with this surah, I'm forced to skip ahead and go back, back and forth for for reasons I think you you'll, you'll see. So, when we get to this point, this is the point where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala tells the Prophet Rasulullah Sallam, "Okay." Do you understand upon what type of people demons descend? Now, of course, in traditional tafaseer, they'll tell you that what Allah is saying is that Mecca accused the Prophet of being a sorcerer. And Allah is telling the Prophet that, well, I know you're not a sorcerer because... It's not demons that visit you, but sorcerers are visited by demons. But of course, I mean, yeah, that that that, but that's that's, I mean, that that's just, I mean, uh, very elementary or rather superficial. But Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is, is saying. do play a role with Ashab al those who are liars and who lying is a way of life for them. And it is at that point that Allah mentions the poets. In traditional tafsir, they'll tell you that Allah is saying that Muhammad, you're not a poet. Because, look, you speak the truth and poets don't. But that's, again, that's not convincing. What is the role played by poets in that day and age? the role played by poets is that they are a critical instrument of the mechanism of despotism in their day and age. They are the PR branch of the state. So the poets of back then are like the newscasters or, you know, when, if you, every despot has people that go on the net that propagate and defend their despotism. Every despot have people that go on TV shows and propagate their despotism, that defend it, that justify it, that legitimate it. It's like Gobo for Hitler. These are the poets that the Quran is talking about. It is not that the Quran is condemning the practice of poetry. The Quran is condemning the PR instrument of despots that, that legitimate and justify what the people of the Pharaoh, what people of Ibrahim, what the people of Moses, what people of Shu'aib, what the people of Saleh are doing. These are the propagandists, the marketers of despotism. There are several things to know here, and they all come from the context of Surah Al-Shuara. When the first Surah Al-Shuara is revealed, the Prophet is affected by it so much that he calls he goes in the middle of mecca and he announces speaks publicly and he says i avail none of you nothing it is none of it is up to me and he even talks to his members of his own family and he says believe Because I can avail you nothing. Directs his speech, even says, even Fatima, my own daughter, I can do nothing for her. He gets the message that it is all up to Allah and that he can do nothing To either save someone or not save someone. But the impact of Surah Al Shara is also gleaned in when the Prophet comments that says, if people a people is made victorious or successful in direct proportion to how the most weak and oppressed among them are treated. In other words, Allah, whether you are blessed as a social project or not, It is exactly according to what rights you give the Arzaloon, the weakest, and the most powerless. Again, in relation to Surah Al Shu'ara, the Prophet said. لا تنظروا إلى عيوب الناس كأنكم أرباب وانظروا إلى عيوبكم كأنكم عبيد فإنما الناس مبتلى ومعافى فارحموا أهل البلاء الله العفية. Don't look to the faults of people as if you are gods but look to your own faults as if you are slaves for people are either afflicted with a test or not. And if they are afflicted with a test, then they deserve your compassion. And pray to Allah for afiyah, for your own protection and your own well-being. Remarkable reaction to Surah Al Shara, right? Don't think, distance yourself thoroughly from the idea that you are godlike. Don't look at people's faults as if you're God's. You're not. Focus on your own faults. the Prophet Resultu is distancing himself from despotism and its mechanisms and its and its and its processes. This hadith, by the way, is reported to have been said in reaction to In Batashtub Batoshtub Jabbarin. Among the other very fascinating reports about all revealed, all around Surah al that Maymoun bin Mahran meets al Hassan, radiyallahu and he tells al Hassan, advise me. And Al-Hasan says to him, وما أغنى عنهم ما كانوا يمتعون that's your advice and this means and this is of course the ayah from surah ash-shu'ara that it availed them nothing what they enjoyed in this earth and and that's all he told them he said reflect upon this all that's all you need and it is also reported that Omar bin Abdul Aziz the so-called fifth right, fifth rightly guided caliph that he would also read Surah al-Shara and particularly this ayah ma aghna anhum ma kanu before he would start any judgment council where he was adjudicating between people so again it was understood as, as core to the processes of justice. Moreover, when one of the, the often, uh, often reported traditions associated with Surah Shara. that a companion was told, one of the companions was told that his brother is committing public sins and he cites some verses in Surah al-Shura, especially, wonder at your relatives, and then he says, "Inna abhudu amaluh, walla wa illa fahu a'chi." That I hate what he does, but he's my brother. And Abu Darda says, "Al-'Akh fil la la yubhud li-zillatuh, wa inna yubhudu amanuh." That your brother in Islam. Don't, don't hate your brother in Islam. Hate what they do, but not them. Differentiate between what they do and them. That gave that repeated usage of their brother. A further nuance, as especially the Sufi esoteric know, that the Prophet never hated the people who refused to follow him. Hated what they did, but not them, and that that distinction is critical. For proper morality in Islam, there's one more thing left. Uh, So let's pray, and then we'll we'll do that one more thing. thing And Inshallah, finish the surah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So notice. Something that we pointed out to at the very beginning. When and this is on two two twenty three. It says, "Allah mentions the shayatin that when Allah talks about." demons descending and then if you notice at 223 most of them are liars and actually in comment, the commentators stop at that expression most of them are liars because uh, there are traditions in which the the Prophet is asked why in Surah Shara it says most of them are liars instead of they're liars, outright. And the Prophet, is reported to have said <laughs> that they mix, that d- d- demons, in fact, communicate information from the world of Ghayb to sorcerers, But they mix a piece of truth with a hundred lies. And this is um, generally true for you know, the phenomenon known as psychics and fortune tellers and so on. That they, they're contact, in contact with something they don't understand. and. What they're in contact with, you know, could give them a bit of truth, but mixed with a great deal of lies. That um, okay, so that just so you know that this is part of what. So Surah Tushara is I mean. It's 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 interesting that um, in traditional Tefasir, they will always tell you that it starts out with uh, recognizing the agony and pain that the Prophet ﷺ is going through. And then it says, it basically tells him stories of past prophets to console him. And then some even went as far as saying that the the verses about poets were revealed in Medina, not Mecca, which I think is completely unfounded. Um, that it is, it is completely untrue that these verses were revealed in the Medina period. And, the, uh, and basically to, to defend the Prophet against the charge of sorcery and uh, poetry. But I think that misses entirely the point. That, and the fact that, yes, the stories of the Prophets are repeated again and again in the Quran. But each time they are repeated, it's from a different point of view to emphasize a different message. And in Surah Tushara, what it is emphasizing is the repeated pattern of prophets carrying the same message, in essence, the same message against an apparatus of stupidity, of an apparatus of of despotism, with various um, permutations of injustice, different forms and manifestations of injustice, and the essential confrontation is always between the prophets, and repeatedly, the powerful. The prophets always representing the disempowered in confrontation with the powerful. In all of the seven narratives we get in Surah ash-shu'ara And then that critical instrumentality that the powerful, in order to sustain their institutions of despotism and injustice, rely on spin masters, on PR institutions, and the P on propaganda, like Hitler's Goebel, you know, his ministry, minister of propaganda. And the spin masters are the Shu'ara of the time of the Prophet, they're the Shu'ara. In our age, they wouldn't be the poets, obviously. There would be everything else that that the powerful uses to uh, socialize people into accepting their disempowerment and accepting the injustices that they live under as legitimate and appropriate. And Because of these pin masters, the majority, and it's 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 it, it notice that although it's telling the prophet the majority will not believe Mecca will officially become Muslim. Most people will officially, the majority in fact will become Muslim. But does the majority become believers? That's a different game. Because once the Prophet dies, <clears throat> we go back to human institutions. And human institutions, the powerful, dominate and create spin masters. The most amazing thing about Surah Sha'ra is like Taha and like Dukhan and Shara, it's revealed in the Mecca period. Although it is really talking about doctrine that is at the heart of institution building within a state or within within power structures, so it is predi- it is addressing something way before it becomes at the heart pressing and relevant. If Muslims understand the moral message of shura to shara, they would realize it is a cry against despotism, against classism, against elitism, against racism. And it would teach Muslims to be inherently distrustful of the spin masters those who justify the abuses of power as a legitimate unjust. And الحمد لله ده سورة الشعرات.